The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It's an unusually public clash between two agencies in the Trump administration. The Treasury Department, led by Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, appointed by President Trump, versus the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, led by Richard Cordray, appointed by former President Barack Obama. In a report issued Monday, the Treasury Department blasted a rule passed in July by the CFPB that makes it much easier for consumers to sue banks in class action lawsuits. In proposing the rule, Cordray said that mandatory arbitration clauses force consumers to resolve disputes with financial companies outside the courts, and this rule would give consumers that choice. It would prevent mandatory arbitration clauses from imposing legal lockouts to deny groups of customers the right to pursue justice and secure meaningful relief from wrongdoing. Joining me are Mike Consul, a fellow with the Roosevelt Institute, and Jim Copeland, legal director at the Manhattan Institute. Jim, we've seen agencies of the Trump administration on different sides of Supreme Court cases, Second Circuit cases. Is this any different? Um, I don't think it's that different. I mean, what, what's underlying the dispute here is you've got Obama administration holdovers in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and that's because when the Democrats were running Congress and passed the Dodd-Frank financial reform bill uh, in 2010, they basically isolated this agency from funding by Congress. It's funded through the Federal Reserve and created a director structure where the director is not replaceable by a new administration by the president. And so you've got the Obama administration holdovers fighting for their rule, and you've got the Trump administration uh, individuals in, in other agencies uh, saying, well, no, hold on a minute. This rule doesn't make sense. Mike, let's talk about the rule now. Consumers may not notice the fine print requiring arbitration that's buried into millions of contracts with credit card companies, banks, rental car companies, et cetera. Tell us more about this mandatory arbitration clause. Sure. So um, there's been a real revolution in the way a lot of consumer uh, contracts have worked, both in the financial sector, which is what this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau rules impact, and broader across labor contracts and other, other types of contracts that basically force people who have a grievance into a out of the courts and into a private setting with an arbiter who can have binding agreements. Um, many clauses force those uh, binding agreements to be confidential. And thus it takes an option away from consumers to have access to the courts for things that are very personal and very important to them. We saw big abuse scandals with uh, Wells Fargo with uh, three and a half million fraudulent um, uh, accounts open for people. And people were forced into arbitration basically for things they, they didn't even have a hand in. And we saw the same thing with Equifax with the major data breach scandal. So I think we finally hit a point where um, you know, there's a general awareness of this, and so much that Dodd-Frank uh, actually tasked the CFPB to do this study uh, over a course of years, which it did, and then write a rule as necessary. So, Mike, tell me about uh, – uh, Jim – what does the Treasury Department's report say about the proposed rule by the CFPB? What's wrong with it? 
Well, basically what they say is when you look at the actual data the CFPB is looking at, it, it's, it shows that it's going to hurt consumers uh, most likely. And, and it, of course, these things are uncertain. And these sort of talking points, I've got a piece on this in Investor's Business Daily today. The talking points your other guest is, is, is uh, using, the same ones Elizabeth Warren's using, uh, really uh, miss the point. I mean, Equifax does have an arbitration clause in its contracts. Equifax has, has said it's going to waive it in this case. But if you look at the data breach consumer class actions uh, that have actually been settled, and we've had them at Anthem, we've had them uh, at a variety of, of companies, they've all paid out less than a dollar a person once you take the lawyer fees out of it for the members of the class. So it's not a realistic way for consumers to get a recovery. Arbitration, on the other hand, uh, as, as the CFPB's own study shows, uh, on average, pays out about $5,000 uh, for a successful claim. So, so an individual can get a recovery there. They're not going to get a lawyer to take an individual case for $5,000. It's just not enough money. But they can get a recovery through arbitration. Otherwise, they're at the mercy of the class action bar. And, and that's really uh, why the CFPB has pushed this rule and why the Democrats in Congress have been pushing the rule. It's because right. they get a lot of money from the plaintiff's bar for class action we're talking about a rule the Consumer Financial Protection Board issued that makes it much easier for cons customers to sue their banks and others in class action lawsuits. And the opposition to it in by the Treasury Department in a report issued yesterday. My guests are Mike Consell, fellow with the Roosevelt Institute, and Jim Copeland, legal director at the Manhattan Institute. Mike, consumer advocates like this rule Tell me about it and give me your reaction to what Jim said. Sure. Well, in general, you don't harm consumers by giving them more choices. Uh, for consumers who still want arbitration because they want the cleanness of it, the quickness of it, any number of reasons, they can still do it. And the arbitration process itself will evolve because there's now competition there. Uh, and you don't harm citizens by giving them rights in courts. Uh, you harm them by taking away their rights. Um, you know, uh, industry is doing a lot of really exaggerated effects. There's a lot of reasonable debate to be had about what the end impact of this rule will be. And the CFPB did extensive cost-benefit analysis. Um, the Treasury report is in the context of uh, the off another regulator who was appointed by Trump, the OCC, uh, pushing back against this rule and arguing that it would increase credit card rates 4%. And um, your other guest said that um, consumers will get 5,000 times the amount of returns in a in uh, private arbitration versus a uh, court, which if the returns are 5,000% higher under arbitration, it's really not sure to me why uh, industry is opposing this so much. Um, these estimates are just outside the realms of reasonable analysis, and they involve all kinds of – they're not really random effects. Uh, we 90% of credit unions don't use this. This is really an effect of the big banks. And we've seen case studies where firms are, have this ability taken away from them as part of a settlement, and we don't see any kind of rapid credit movement. So at the end, this gives consumers another choice, and I think that's important for them. Jim, isn't business and financial firms in particular, aren't they usually opposed to any kinds of class actions? Well, well, absolutely. And the reason is, is that class action lawsuits are principally about benefiting the lawyers, not the members of the class. But, but I just want to say that virtually everything Mike said there is false. Uh, the $5,000 average recovery uh, in an in, in arbitration isn't something I made up. It's something from the CFPB's own report. 
The 4% is between 3 and 4 percentage point increase in the total cost of credit for, 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 for customers isn't something I made up. It's derived from the very study that the CFPB resolves on. And what they try to say is, well, this shows there'll be no actual impact when we looked at the 2009 settlement, the thing he was talking about. What they showed is they couldn't show that there would be an impact with 95% confidence. But with 88% confidence, they could show that there would be an increase between 3 and 4% uh, in terms of the interest rates. And it's hard to know exactly how this will shake out. It's, part of it could be in fees. Part of it could be in interest rates. Part of it could be in denying credit to consumers. But make no mistake, uh, consumers uh, are going to be harmed uh, if, in fact, they cost more to the banks to service them by transferring money from banks to lawyers, which is what this, these class action lawsuits are about. And the banks are going to recover that somehow. That's the point. I, I, I mean, clearly you can get consumer advocates who are funded by the plaintiff's bar to say, oh, this is great for consumers. But to say that this creates more choice for consumers isn't really what's going to happen. Uh, these arbitration clauses are quite generous. The reason they're quite generous is because they foreclose class action lawsuits. And if you force the banks uh, to uh, permit class action lawsuits, notwithstanding these arbitration uh, agreements, the arbitration agreements are going to change to consumers' detriment. Well, I do want to note that the Treasury Department report said financial firms would face extraordinary costs of more than $500 million in additional legal fees and $1.7 billion in settlements to resolve 3,000 more class action lawsuits. Attorneys will collect more than $1 million on average from cases, while consumers will receive just $32, according to the Treasury Department report. Mike, Let's talk about what's happening in Congress right now to try to stop this rule. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a quick thing, that's not how P statistics work. The 88% is not like extrapolable. So, I mean, uh, there's reasonable debates about these studies. Um, the big thing that's giving this an impetus is that because of, um, con of various congressional rules that I don't know if necessarily worth getting into, um, Congress and particularly the Senate can repeal this rule with a simple majority. Uh, it's already passed the House uh, a repeal of this rule because of the way um, rules that pass in times of presidential transfers. Um, it's not clear if it will pass the Senate. Um, it's up in the air. We, you know, there's rumors as early as a vote today. Um, there's a time uh, ticking on it, I think, essentially in mid-November, depending on how they massage it. They'll have to have chosen whether or not they're going to do this. And the Senate is obviously very concerned about ta uh, getting um, tax reform in, into some sort of coherent shape for the Trump administration. So, um, you know, there's, there's a debate, much like health care, about whether or not they can get 50 votes to uh, repeal this. Jim, do you th believe they can get 50 votes? So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I said, look, I agree with Mike on this. The clock is ticking, and it's not clear. It's not clear what's going to happen in the Senate. There's 52 Republicans in the Senate. Some of those, like Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, are uh, receive generous donations from the plaintiff's bar, as do, of course, the, the Democratic Senate leadership. So uh, it's going to be a tight, uh, I think, fight on this. But, but, but I hope uh, that the Republicans in the Senate stand up with the administration and the Republicans in the House and do the right thing here and not let the Obama administration sort of uh, push this pro-plaintiff's lawyer uh, measure through uh, without stopping it, which they have the power to do. All right. We have about 30 seconds left. Mike, you'll have the last word. 
Um, you know, I, I think this rule is a good rule. I think it was well planned. I think there's a lot of attacks about the procedures, but it's been in, in play for several years. It was ma um, mandated that they study this. And to me, the most interesting uh, person who says that we should keep this rule is Gretchen Carlson, uh, the former Fox host, who was forced through mandatory arbitration into not being able to talk about her sexual harassment. Um, that's not this, that's not a financial contract, but it shows us really the detrimental effect right. these mandatory rules have. To have to stop you there. That's Mike Consul. He's a fellow with the Roosevelt Institute and Jim Copeland, legal director at the Manhattan Institute. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, he's a star of the legal profession with more clients than we can handle. We're going to talk about trial lawyer David Boys, who's stepping out of the spotlight so his successors can carry on his firm's work. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.